Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. I love coming together and, and just celebrating Jesus, celebrating what he's done and, and, and worshiping big and, and, and just falling in love with the presence of God and experiencing the ecstatic joy of being connected with him and, and everything that entails, the, the, the joy that breaks off heaviness, the, the garment of praise that removes that, that, that yoke and, and everything that comes with experiencing Jesus. But at the same time, I know that like, um, there's so much pain in the world right now and pain in, in this room even. And I like to, every once in a while, just make us present with the reality and the fact that in this room, there are people who had the best week of their life and the worst week of their life. There are people in this room who, who lost someone that they love and they're there's actually a resurrection this week. A, a friend of mine whose father was on life support, they got to the point where they either had to, they had to pull the plug and see what happened. And they finally did, and he woke up. Yeah. <clears throat> so the, there are, um, there's a multitude of need there's a multitude of perspective. There's a multitude of experience in this room, in this moment. And I wanna just glorify the Holy Spirit who is able to meet every single one of us in our place of need. There are people who are mourning deeply and there are people who are celebrating rambunctiously. And we're all together communing and, and looking at our good Jesus together. And, um, I know sometimes it seems almost tone deaf to say, let's just rejoice in the Lord, or, or it might seem even tone deaf when, when you're looking at, the, there's, there's war going on with beloved people that we, there's people in this room who know the people who are in, in danger right now. It might seem tone deaf to say like, but let's look at the end of the story, like all of our all of our hope is in the fact that at the end of all of this, it's gonna be us laughing in his presence, enjoying the victory and feasting on his goodness forever. And I mean, without the hope of resurrection and our eternal joy, we would lose all hope, wouldn't we? Like, I don't know how the world does it. I don't know how people who don't have this anchor of hope do it. And, and so I want us like collectively just to like thank God that there is an anchor of our hope that has gone past the veil and we are seated in the heavenly places tied to that anchor. And at the end of all things, we are going to be feasting in his presence together. Isn't that a, a wonderful foundation, unshakable reality to help us weather these storms? This morning, um, I feel like there's a, a prophetic edge to what's going on, and I've said that before, but um, the reason I say it today is because our good friend Ryan Crowell had a dream last night about church, about what church was, was going to be like today, essentially, and, and what God is authoring in our body. And in the, in the dream, we gathered at the library, a local library, and 
the gospel was being shared in a way where we were getting it. Like the good news that's really good, like causes hope and like ecstatic joy to well up in our hearts to the point where we're coming alive and we're, and we're like effortlessly like sharing it. People are gathering. It feels like revival in the library. And that was the dream last night. And he shared it with me over text this morning. And I just texted back, just off the cuff. I said, um, I'm feeling a Reformation Sunday. A Reformation Sunday. Because Reformation is a reforming of our faith. It's a reforming of our understanding of the gospel that causes us to actually walk in the joy that is our inheritance. And then, but right when I texted, I'm feeling a Reformation Sunday, I hear the Holy Spirit say, look it up. And so I Googled it, and today is Reformation Sunday, celebrated <laughs> worldwide. I had no idea. <laughs> <clears throat> So could it be that this morning, God is going to author something in our hearts that changes the way we live forever? Amen. And it, has, it doesn't really have to do with what I say, but what happens when I say it, you know? The Holy Spirit is here and wants to change things in, in all of our hearts. And often, if, if we're just present enough to appreciate the moment. It can be the thing that changes us forever. And, and if you would, just, just pray for me right now, because I, I deeply need it. I'm just like you. <laughs> so let's pray for me. I'm going to just selfishly take the opportunity to have you all pray for me. Father, thank you for this church. I pray, God, that you give me your words, your heart, that you'd flow, that the joy of heaven would arrest hearts, that there would be uh, deliverance and, and healing and clarity. We pray for, just like Paul prayed, that a spirit of wisdom and revelation would come in this room on all of us. We pray, just like Paul prayed, that the eyes of our hearts would be open. We pray, just like Paul prayed, that we would experience a love that transcends just knowing that we are loved. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, uh, last week I started talking about God being triune or the Trinity and God, the, the God is love message. The foundation from which all of our understanding should flow is that God is love. And before I do like a, a, any kind of recap, I wanted to go back to the reason. And and I thought that from Ryan's dream, something that stood out to me is that we were in a library. And uh, that to me and Ryan represents the Bible because the Bible isn't just a book, it's a bunch of books. It's a library of books. And so there's no better place to go than scripture to find the reason for why we gather, the reason for what we do. And I wanna go, um, first of all, to Psalm 27, four, to highlight the reason why I'm talking about God being love and God being triune. This is Psalm 27.4 in the NLT. One thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all my days, all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections, 
and meditating in his temple. Oh, to just gaze on the beauty of God forever and ever and ever. And then, and then just flip 10 chapters, hit up Psalm 37. Fittingly, also verse four, We'll start in three, actually. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord. Or other translations say, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so the reason why I'm, I'm talking about God being love and God being Trinity centers around that word delight in both Psalm 27 and 37. How are we supposed to delight in a God when we find things in him that are not delightful? Jonathan Edwards, everyone just like puckered up a little bit when I said that name, right? (laughs) Known for a very famous sermon, but... He was actually a pretty joyful guy. I I read up on him. He's a happy father. And this is something that Jonathan Edwards said. God gave us preachers to show the gospel in its proper color that people would have love for Christ and joy in him. So the reason I'm talking about God being loved is uh, because lovers outwork workers every single time we see the beauty of God, his love, his kindness, how can we not serve him? There's a, a famous uh, French uh, poetry line um, that says, in, a, in English, it's not as beautiful as in French, but essentially the, the gist of the line is, if you want to build a ship, don't gather lumber and workers and start barking out orders. Teach people to long for the vastness of the ocean. If we see the vastness of Christ's love, there's no ship too big that we wouldn't build. And preachers wouldn't have to say, do this, that, and the other thing. We gotta take this town. We gotta get, fill in the blank. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta, go, go, go. And they're using their own puffed up zeal and fire in order to inspire people to go. And that is sure fire away towards burnout. If we're living off our passion for God instead of his passion for us, we will burn out. Lovers work outwork workers every time. And I want to say something else. Beware of anyone who serves you if they're doing it for any other reason than love. A key reading from the, uh, the lectionary, the common lectionary. I know a lot of us are charismatics. We are not like, familiar with that term, but all around the world in Catholic churches and Anglican churches, Orthodox, a bunch of different 
uh, expressions of the church of God around the world use this thing called the Common Lectionary. It's an annual calendar of scripture readings, and it kind of keeps everybody on a trajectory. And we're heading towards Advent, which is gonna be wonderful. I love the Advent season and going to some of the traditional readings. It's like Super Bowl for preachers. We're like... (laughs) where everyone's gathered to celebrate the advent of the Lord, but a common reading today is out of Matthew 22, verse 34. This is something that Christians, saints, the holy ones of God all around the world are reading right now. So we're joining with them in this moment. This is Matthew 24, starting in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, So they were sad, you see. The Pharisees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, quick as a whip, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Keep going. This is the first and greatest commandment. Keep going. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you're looking for the the keep it simple message, this is it. If If you're wondering what is the point of all of the law and the commandments, all the the prophets, everything that came before. If you're wondering that all the the, the mysteries of the the history of of Israel and the trajectory of the human race, it's it's right here. Everything hangs on this, this one thing, that God desires our love. And God desires that our love would be poured out on the people around us also. There's another verse that's being read all around the world today. And it's uh, when Paul is addressing the Thessalonians in in chapter two, verse eight. This one got me. Can you put the first Thessalonians two, eight up there? It's not their fault. I sent them the notes five minutes before I spoke. (laughs) <clears throat> we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. What does it look like when the leaders of a church love everyone so much that we're not just sharing the gospel, but our our very lives? What does it look like when we open up, let people in and show up when people need things? And I benefited from, Ashley and I benefited from the love of this community yesterday. We had a a home group show up and help us fix things around our house. And (laughs) it was overwhelming, you know? I don't know if you've ever been loved like that to have people just give their time to help you um, in your time of need. And so um, 
when I, when I teach, I, I'm, I'm hoping and believing not just for like a distribution of information, but an impartation of love. And I mentioned this last week. I, I just want to recap a few things. Paul told Timothy that the point of all his teaching is love. And right now, I, I want to believe for the same thing in this room. I want to believe that we're going to uh, experience an impartation of love, and I want to believe that we're going to experience his love that transcends anything we could ever know about him, because isn't it exhilarating to experience his love? Has anyone in here recently bought a new car, like just picked it up from the dealership recently, like in the last month or two? Yeah. Good on you. Well done. Isn't that, I mean, congratulations. But why didn't you, why weren't you satisfied just reading the owner's manual? If we have scripture sitting in front of us, reading it and reading it and reading it, when's the last time you took the Holy Spirit out for a spin though? There's a vast difference between knowing everything about a car and actually stomping on the accelerator <laughs> and hugging a turn, right? The exhilaration, the enjoyment. We actually get to not just know things about God, but experience the exhilaration of being seated with him in heavenly places. We get to experience the exhilaration of seeing heaven show up on earth and heal bodies. We get to experience the exhilaration of being connected with the, the uncreated, unfathomable center of the universe, the burning fire of all of creation, love himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we get to be seated in that club, in that family, in that unity. Jesus' whole goal was that the, that the human race would know finally, once again, that we are as loved as the Son himself. It's what it says in John 17, 23, that they would know that you love them just like you love me. That's Jesus' prayer. That they, as in all of us, as in humanity, that they would know that you love them as you love me. And then last week, we also jumped into John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him, all things were created. This beautiful thing where John goes back to before the genealogies, right? To, to the beginning itself, to the beginning himself. Goes back before Adam and Eve, before Abraham. Goes back before John the Baptist. Goes all the way back to when it was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because it has to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has to be three in order for us to know that he is love. Because love is a relational term. You can't be love unless you have someone to shower your love upon, right? He went back that far so that we could trust that God is good. Good is also a relational term. You can't, be, you can't know someone is good if they're alone, because they have to be good to someone, Right? So God, from before time, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and eventually says, let us make man in our own image so that they can be our you know, servant robots? No, you wanted kids. 
He wanted to expand the family. He wanted us to experience the love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I did the visual demonstration of the Father and Son versus you know, just an omni-being type God where we don't know if we can approach that you know, the solo God that we've created of our own imagination, but we can certainly feel safe approaching the love that we see in the family of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then there's obviously that we have this knee-jerk reaction when we talk about God being love, and it's, um, you know, God is, God is love, but, and then you, you fill in the blank. And we begin to say attributes of God instead of the identity of God. We say God is love, but he is just, but you can't go back to before creation and say God in his essence is just because he had no, like, there was no one to break his rules, right? He, before time, he was love, and he, he exercises his justice through his love. Even creator, we think that's a name of God, and it kind of is, but it's really something that God does, right? Because in his essence, God is love, and he creates through love. Are y'all tracking with me? And I, like the, the example of being pulled over by a police officer, well, we've broken the rules. If the police officer lets us off the hook, we don't love the police officer. We're just grateful that he didn't hold us accountable to the rules that he invented to begin with. And so if we think God is ruler, then our worship for him is nothing more than thankfulness, but it's not love. Thankfulness is good, but it isn't love. So God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What do you think is like the, the most famous verse highlighting this? Where we know that there is a Father, there is a Son, and there is a Holy Spirit. Where can you go to in your scriptural Rolodex? I heard it. Someone said baptism, and you're absolutely right. That's, that is probably the, the clearest picture of where we, where we get to see the Father and Son and Holy Spirit operating together because Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, coming out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and then we hear the voice from heaven, the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so we see all three in operation, endorsing one another. Isn't that just such a beautiful picture? Even, and I mentioned last week, this is before Jesus did anything, right? God the Father loved God the Son before God the Son had any chance to go off and do all the, the righteous, wonderful things that he was going to do. And we know that just like, like little babies, we love them in spite of anything that they could possibly do for us, right? That is the same love that the Father has for us before we do anything cool, right? God loved the world. When, like God loved us before. God loved us first. God loved us when we were still sinners. God loved us when we could only invent dumb things to do. <laughs> and Paul had the same Trinitarian theology. I think the place where it's most evident is Romans 1. We don't have to turn there, but let me just read through it. This is Romans, right at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 2. God promised this good news through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son, born of the line of David, and shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you have Paul working out his Trinitarian theology also and showing us the, the inner workings behind the scenes of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
So God has to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has to be triune in order for any of this to work, including the atonement. Atonement is, this sounds like something you might learn in like Sunday school class, but it's actually real. Atonement means at one mint. How were we made at one with God? So the difference between uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together to redeem humanity, that we would be adopted into the Son back into the family of God, or another metaphor is the bride of Christ remarried into the heavenly family. Another metaphor is sons of God born not of the will of man or the will of the flesh, but, the, but of the spirit. All these metaphors we have of being included into the family of God, there's that. And then there's another version that we've heard, probably, most of us have probably heard our whole lives. It's the version of, of um, you know, God is kind of like a, a school principal, you know, that's God. We, we broke his rules and we're in trouble. And, but there's a really good student, really kind student named Jesus who comes forward and says, I'll take the whip. I'll take the, the ruler on the knuckles. I'll take the punishment for everyone. And we're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. But then we're scared still forever of the school principal. But there's no division. There's no difference it's, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're always embodying the same kind of nature. They're always in unity. It wasn't the, the, the cross didn't change the Father. The, the cross changed us. God doesn't change. So Jesus came and actually manifested what we should have known about God all along is that he is forgiving. And he came and he, and he said, I only do what I see the Father doing and I only say what I hear the Father saying. And so we can rest assured that the Father looks just like the Son. All these metaphors, you know, they kind of fall short to really fully describe this love. That's kind of why we have to just get lost in the Holy Spirit to experience it. Um, so God is love which means that everything he does flows from that place of love. He is compelled by love to be good. He is compelled by love to exercise his judgments. He is compelled by love to create, to heal, to do things, to discipline. He disciplines from a place of love. Do you know what the most lazy parenting is? Punishment. We just make our kids scared to do the wrong thing to control their behavior. The only way to fully deal with evil is to apply loving, restorative discipline, right? That's exhausting for us earthly moms and dads. God is patient. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He is in the business of restoring, right? not just punishing. There's a huge difference between punishment and discipline. So punishment doesn't even really deal with evil, right? It still exists. We still want to do the wrong thing, but we're scared of getting hit. Discipline eliminates it. 
pulls it from the heart of humanity that we would desire with all our hearts to please him. We've experienced his mercy, right? Um, Do we have three vocalists who can do a three-part harmony for me? I'm a musician. Ariel, come on up. Bo, Bo, would you mind? Who else, who else can, who, who can do the third part? Come on up, come on. <laughs> We've got two, I need a third. I, I see, yay, brave. Thank you, brave people. I didn't even tell you what I was gonna I do know, to you I'm yet. So <laughs> no, it's gonna be really simple. Is the handheld mic here? Will you, will you be my assistant and just hold it in, yes. right in front of Bo and the three of them are gonna huddle, kind of huddle around it. Okay, here we go. Okay. Bo's gonna have the lower voice and so a three-part harmony, but the, the word that I want you to harmonize is you guys can probably guess it, right? God is love. Okay, so um, It'd be like, love, love, love. You, you just pick it. You try it out. Try it out. Bo, just pick a note, and they'll, they'll go off of it. Just love. What does it have to be? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is wonderful. I've never done this before. Okay. All right, ready? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to actually throw in the high fourth love, note. It's going to be wonderful. Okay, you're getting it. Now hold it out, hold it out. Take a deep breath, hold it out. Retribution. Misogyny. Genocide. Good job. Okay. I don't know, was I harmonizing okay? Was, when, I, when, I, when I shouted out retribution, did it fit right in with harmony? Misogyny? Genocide? Wait, did any of those fit in? Did it harmonize? No, it caused... It caused dis, dissonance, right? Dissonance. It didn't harmonize. Can we give you, these guys a round of applause? Love, love, love. If we believe that God is love, everything else we believe about him should harmonize with that reality. Is there something that your soul or your mind is singing that's causing dissonance or discord? Is it possible that we might believe two things about God that don't play well together? Is it possible that we have the God is love but, and then we put his justice opposed to his love like he is in a cosmic arm wrestling match with himself? This causes cognitive 
dissonance. And the reason I want to highlight it is because it is what causes us to fear going to him. We can't sing love and retribution at the same time, can we? We can't sing love and the subjugation of women or any people group at the same time, can we? We can't sing love and terrifying torture at the same time, can we? We can't sing, they, they don't harmonize, they cause dissonance. And in the prayer room culture especially, we know about the power of song, right? We sing any random thing we think is praiseworthy about God from this stage. Every single thing that we've ever found from scripture, our own experience, or the Holy Spirit drops in our spirit, we belt it out there, baby, and we see where it goes, right? And it's 95% of the time praiseworthy. <laughs> you know, it's, we're, we're singing, <laughs> we're singing beautiful things about his attributes or about his ways, things that we know from scripture, things that we know from the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we're viewing God through these beautiful songs, right? We extol him and it brings about affection and, and gratitude for every beautiful thing that we can think of, for every beautiful thing that the Spirit reminds us of. But there are certain things that we might believe we would never sing. Why is that? Is it possible that we believe something about God that isn't praiseworthy? And if that's the case, then shouldn't we ask ourselves, does God ever do anything that isn't praiseworthy? Is God ever acting in a way that isn't praiseworthy? Is there anything hidden within him, lurking beneath the surface, elusive as it may be, that is not praiseworthy? And if that's the case, if we've discovered something that we just can't sing about God, That's good timing. They're singing about God right now. We have the freedom to investigate and even interrogate that belief. You have permission to ask God hard questions. You have permission to take sides with the Holy Spirit against any construct of God that we may have created. Take sides with the Holy Spirit against the way you look at the Father. You know, but maybe if Jesus never ate with sinners, I would be allowed to think differently about the Father. Maybe if Jesus actually did cast that first stone, I would be allowed to think differently about God. Maybe if Jesus gave us just one instance of an exacting angry, terrifying, retributive God, then I would be allowed to think differently, but he didn't. 
So now I actually have to take sides with what I see in the image of Christ and the Holy Spirit reminding me of everything Jesus does and, and has said. I have to take sides with the Spirit against that stuff. Sometimes I realize that some of the greatest moments of my life is when I realize that I, Lord, we just blessed the remodel process, that, that door. We just thank you for that wall and that door. It's coming, it's manifesting in the he, from heaven right now. <laughs> one, of the, one of my favorite feelings is when I realize that I tarred the face of God with the paintbrush of my own anxieties. His ways are higher than our ways, but maybe I've made a caricature of God that has condescended to my level. When the incarnation, Jesus shows me in perfect 3D technicolor the face of my dad. I have to conclude that God is truly kind and the weapon of his warfare on behalf of humanity is a mercy that triumphs over all judgment. I have to conclude that he came for the sick and the oppressed and deceived children. Behind Jesus, the friend of sinners, there's not a more sinister being since Jesus is the Lagos is the word, is the mind of God, is the exact representation of the Father, since Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form, we can happily be rid of that horrible idea that there is a principle still needing to be appeased. This is the kind of message that sets us free from shame and all, all trauma and every, everything that we once attributed to God when we realized I didn't have to attribute it to God changes history. And then history as we know it becomes not quite history as it really was. You know, we're heading into um, the Intercessors Super Bowl, a.k.a. Halloween, And in honor <laughs> of the whole idea of the costume party, I want to tear down the idea right now that heaven is a costume party and we are disguised as Jesus from the angry eyes of dad. He knows who you are and he loves it. He loves you. Shame says, if they really knew what I was really like, they wouldn't love me, they wouldn't like me, they wouldn't wanna be around me. God knows exactly what you're made of and loves the stuffing out of you. We were made in the image, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image, in our likeness we were made, which means that we were made good and we were made as love, as the essence of love at our, at our core. We were the beloved, the receivers and givers 
of love. And when he made us, God said, it is good. Can you put your hand on your belly? Just say with me, it is very good. This is your identity. Now, don't repeat this part. You are very good. You were made in his image. He's not trying to change you. He's trying to reveal you. Everything that has been covered by deception and trauma and the lies we believe about God and the lies we believe about ourselves has twisted us into behaving in a way that is outside the manufacturer's specifications. Martin Luther said this about you. We are snow-covered dung. It's a happy Sunday morning message. <laughs> you are a piece of doo-doo. But, thanks be to God, you've been disguised. In your core, you still stink, but you put on a disguise so that you can be snuck into heaven. But if God <laughs> takes a deep whiff, we're going to be exposed. Is that actually what is going on? Or are we his beloved kids who have, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. We have been deceived into acting outside of who we are. It is only with a foundation that God is love and God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we can actually begin to dismantle every single lesser theology that has promoted itself and paraded itself as the foundation of our faith. Can we pray together? Holy Spirit, this is a big task. It's just something you can do, but we invite you by faith to tear down every false construct of God in our brains right now. <laughs> no big deal, Lord. Just let us see you for who you really are, God. And uh, while you're at it, Holy Spirit, would you help us to identify all those lies we believed about ourselves so that we can just laugh at them for the rest of eternity? <laughs> Everything, I can't believe that I believe that. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts to see what? Just how loved we are. Empower us with strength, with might in our inner being, in our inner man, to know the length, the width, the height, and the depth. Oh, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Jesus, would you break off and tear down every caricature that we have drawn of you in our minds. We thank you, Jesus, that you look at each one of us like a sweet little kid that you just can't help but pick up and snuggle and play with, and you just love every single one of us. Would you just help us to see ourselves the way that you see us? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.